who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. What is up, Super? I hit the microphone. Do that again. <laughs> yeah. No, that was perfect. Ship it. Ship it. That's the energy I want. Yeah, do it. Ship it. We're good. What is up, Super Nintendo? Welcome to episode 655 of Nintendo Voice Chat. I was going to make a joke about how I'm Seth Macy, but I don't think I can do that now that I've run into the microphone. I'm not Seth Macy. I couldn't lie to you. Um, I'm Rebecca Valentine. I'm standing in for Seth this week while he's off doing Seth Macy things, whatever it is he does. And I am joined by a phenomenal cast of characters this week, including the illustrious Tom Marks. Illustrious. That's a new one. Hello. Yeah. The impeccable Brian Altano. Wow, I've never got that before, but thank you. That's very sweet. <laughs> And the industry legend herself joining us from somewhere far away, Kat Bailey. Somewhere far away. I'm in Biscuit Town right now. Biscuit Town? What is Biscuit Town? What? Biscuit Town. Richmond, Virginia. It's delicious, oh. though. Very good. D okay. Yeah. So they really, like, have biscuits? I'm like, is this a thing? Oh, yeah. I'm on Biscuit Tour 2023 right now. <laughs> What like uh like what kind of biscuit? Are we talking like like UK biscuits that are huge, or, oh. huge biscuits? No, mm. the kind that you can put egg and cheese and like. <gasps> oh um, yeah, those. Oh, this sounds so. Do they travel well? Can you bring some back for us so we so we? No, know? no, because the next day wow. the biscuit will harden and become a brick. Oh. And then you can attach it to your shield in Breath of the Wild too. <laughs> And what? use it as a weapon. What a transition. Amazing. Amazing. Into the thing we are all really stoked to discuss today. Yeah. Uh, this morning we all got up at the crack of dawn uh, to watch 10 whole minutes of The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom gameplay, which is like the first extended gameplay look we've gotten of yeah. the game, aside from a couple trailers. I believe we've, had, we've gotten two minutes total 
before 7 a.m. today. Yes. Over the, since the game was announced, we've gotten two minutes, and so we got 10 today, which was... And, and none of it was, like, UI showing proper, yeah. like, playing the game gameplay. It was Asia Anuma going, I'm going to play the game for you right now, and then clearly, like, skipping to different points yeah. mm-hmm. in a cl- in a pre-recorded thing. But anyway, before we get into that, I did actually... we So Seth Macy, who's not here today, uh, had a statement uh, that he wanted us to make on his thoughts on Tears of the Kingdom. Wow. Uh, and I was actually hoping we could read this together as a group, if we could pull it up on the monitor uh, here red. I'll just take a look at this and read it out loud, perhaps. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Um. Uh, so for those of you who are not watching and who are just listening, uh, Seth Macy sent me a statement, and it was just an ent- one Google Doc that is entirely filled with exclamation points. It's like a thousand else. of them. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. I, think you I can't guess. the show with that, actually, already. So. Just that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was me hitting the microphone. I actually don't know how, to, how many exclamations that is. That's like when you, you have to guess, like, jelly beans in a jar. <laughs> like, I just have no spatial context. Um, it's a lot. It's all of them. All the ones you just, can put there. Is this just Kirby noises and uh, <laughs> transcribed? Boyo. Yeah. I think it's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's how Seth feels about Tears of the Kingdom after watching yes. that. So I think, I think this is good. Mm-hmm. It seems yeah. good. Mm. Um, I'm also feeling pretty good. Yeah. I would put uh, like a, uh, maybe 40% question marks would be in there still. <laughs> 40%? Yeah, there's so, there's, we yeah. saw a lot today, but there's still a lot. Are they good left. question marks, though? I mean, like, like curious. Now we're getting into fonts, skeptical. right? Like, what font are you are you asking? Like, <laughs> All right, well, let's Comic Sans question marks. Yes, Times New Roman. Where are they the the same? Is it the same font they used in Breath of the Wild, oh, for example? Hylian runes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but what if we, let's let's break it down yes. like thing by thing because we saw. I mean, there was, it was a lot in that ten minutes to sort of unpack. I think like the big thing, the big thing is the new abilities. There's yes. four. Yeah, this yeah. this I believe I, I think it's completely safe to say that this what we saw today hyper focused on mechanics. Yes, right? we we saw a lot about this is how you will interact with enemies, uh, the world, and items and stuff like that. And I think all of that um, is incredibly exceptionally exciting because we got to see link sort of uh they they really went into more of the you know these are the mechanics that you had in the first game we've we've now added all these new things you can now uh fusion seems to be like the big one right like there are obviously things that you'll use for traversal but in terms of like actually interacting with things around you the new thing now is that you can take stuff and uh, lack of a better term glue them together and make (laughs) bigger things or longer things or sillier things or you know and and i think that that's immediately the kind of thing that every single person watching was like this is a game changer oh yeah and this is going to create millions of viral moments for us to watch on youtube for the rest of our lives yeah so that's really cool there's two versions of this right so there's there's fuse which is the thing you do with the stuff in your hands so you have a stick and you have a rock and you stick them together and you make a Stick rock, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but then there's, there's a bigger version of that, which is the move called Ultra Hand, which is like where you're you're kind of using it, it's like the it's like the magnesis and the the stasis powers where you have like a hand that's kind of reaching out and like grabbing things, but instead of grabbing magnetized stuff and waving it around, you sort of grab a big log and stick it to another log, or you yeah. grab like a rock and put it on something else, and that's you know to build larger constructions that you maybe can't hold in your hand, but you can interact with another mm-hmm. other ways. Um, so those are like the two variations on that, which, uh, like, you know, is incredibly toyetic. Like it's got this very like kind of whimsical playfulness to it in terms of like, this is how you would play as a kid, right? Like if you had a, 
a, a box of disparate items, you'd stick them together. This is how you played with Legos. This is how you played in the woods. Like you built forts and stuff like that. It's, it really leaned hard into the sort of like Kerbal Space Program, uh, Banjo-Kazooie nuts and bolts of it all. And it's mesmerizing to watch because like, you know, he, he made a ship from Star Wars here basically. And then like attached... Uh, fans to it you know, a random bedroom fan that was just lying around yeah exactly <laughs> like luckily they were there um and so i think this is going to lead to a lot of really interesting uh things and a lot of like oh wow i didn't know you could do that type of scenarios here yeah. so it's really cool to see tom what you thinking yeah it's just super exciting like the, so the thing the thing that like the thing that wows me about this sort of vehicle dynamic vehicle crafting system is that it feels like they watched people break the game yes. by picking because people would do that thing where they'd like stack two mine carts on top of each other oh, yeah. and then you could fly by like lifting the one the, bottom, the one, yeah. bottom one yeah and it looked like they watched people do that and then went that's a great idea yeah we should legalize that yeah exactly <laughs> which is like some of the best sort of like bugs not that that's literally a bug but some of the sort of best bugs become features right yeah. and so yeah that was the most exciting thing to me about this was that it looked like it looks like nintendo was paying attention to how people were playing breath of the wild one mm -hmm. and saying okay how can we lean into that how can we, oh they're flying way up into the sky where they shouldn't be right let's yeah. put stuff there getting on let's, a log and then like like hitting like stasising hitting it a bunch of times angling it and then climbing on top and then going yeah <laughs> yeah and like that's now a feature yeah, yeah. so cool to me where like the fact that we didn't see you know necessarily a ton of like oh how different is the map is what about the dungeons like all that stuff like like i assume that stuff is still coming to some extent in terms of what they're waiting to show and i agree with you brian that like they took this opportunity to just be like yeah you know we we saw what you were doing and let's just like yeah. give you more ways to do that and more tools to do that and more creative creativity in that space mm -hmm. which excites me in a way that just seeing like a dungeon wouldn't necessarily right right yeah i think no you you absolutely nailed it and i think that like for those people who played breath of the wild like that and we all had all had to play breath of the wild like that a, a bit right or at least um a lot in some scenarios right like you you did have to use uh magnesis and stasis you didn't have to ride opponent onto a rock and hit that rock so hard that you flew across the whole level and, right. then, and killed her or whatever right like that was you could, that was your choice, but I feel like they, you're right. They lean into that element of it a lot more today specifically, but for the rest of us who, or for some of us who like wanted to see more of like the, okay, so, but outside of the mechanical kind of interaction of the gameplay happening here, you know, what's this world? What am I exploring? I, I feel like I didn't get enough of that today, but I, I, I recognize that seeing the stuff that we saw today was for that other group of people and servicing them is incredibly smart because they're the ones that kept the legs on that game going for a very long time. Right. You know, they kept the conversation going for a very long time. So I respect that, you know, even if it wasn't entirely tailored for me personally and the way I play these games. Kat, what about you? Is uh, sticking rocks together for you? <laughs> <laughs> They, uh, they expanded the toy box, and the first thing I thought was, wow, okay. So uh, the first thing I said was that it felt a little bit like a expanded, a mega DLC, a mega expansion. And then there was some debate over whether that was too <laughs> reductive, and it probably is, because I suspect that they still haven't shown a lot. Uh, fans are already picking through everything that they've been seeing, 
And among the things that they're discovering, for example, is that caves seem to be uh, completable. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of questions about what exactly is going on with these sky islands. And there's a lot of speculation o over, is literally the entire world just one big puzzle that you are bringing together? It seems to me that Nintendo has a profound understanding of what worked about Breath of the Wild. Right. that kept it mm -hmm. so fresh and vital for five years. Yeah. And I think that speedrunners certainly are going to be thrilled with the amount of options that are being offered. And I can expect that there's a lot of things just to mess around with. I can totally understand why this game took six years or something like that mm -hmm. yeah. to ultimately make because just the possibilities of being able to basically stick everything on your sword or your shield probably just took so much time even playtesting and refining and coming up with. So I'm fascinated by the possibilities and maybe even a little overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. I, it definitely, it, the moment that we just saw in the gameplay, if you're watching the video version of this, was the moment in the trailer where he has like the bow and arrow and like they're explaining, okay, you can stick ice to it, make ice arrows. You can stick a keese eye onto it and it'll like hone in mm -hmm. on an enemy so you don't have to aim. And that, like like ice ice making ice arrows makes sense to me. Like that's just such an obvious interaction or whatever. But the eyeball thing, that's clever. Yeah. That's the kind of thing where I'm I'm playing and I'm like, oh, I wonder what this does. And I stab it on there and I play it. I'm like, ooh, mm -hmm. that's really cool. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about just like the sheer breadth of items. Like you said, Kat, in Breath of the Wild. And is it really possible that they've come up with like a unique interaction for every logical possibility? Like if if I can stick two things together, they're going to do something interesting no matter what. Yeah. And that's nuts. That I, I, that was kind of where when we were sort of going back and forth in the Slack about like is this is this just sort of glorified DLC or is this you know something really robust? Like the second someone says, "Hey, what if we could stick any item in the game uh, onto any other item in the game and see what happens?" The second you say that out loud, the second it's like, "Okay, well we've got to overhaul the whole game because that 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 just right. breaks everything instantly." Yeah. And that's cool. It is. And my hope and the one thing I think sort of to part of what Brian was talking about is the thing we haven't seen yet is how they're going to use that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because like early, early before breath of the wild came out, they were showing off things like if you light the grass on fire, then it creates an updraft and then you could ride that up. And it wasn't until we got into the game that we were like, Oh, you actually like want to do that. There are times where that is actively relevant to what yeah. you're doing in these situations. Yeah. And I'm hoping I have faith that they'll do a similar thing with this, where they'll give you reasons to be experimenting. They'll give you reasons to put a log onto a stick or whatever, Yeah. because the truth of the matter is like some of what they showed just to, obviously this is just sort of like examples, but wasn't things I ever see my, like, I'm not going to use a stick with a rock on it as my weapon for very long in the game. Right? Little like, do you know. Find, right. Or maybe, <laughs> maybe I a sword with a rock though. Yeah, exactly. Like that's, that's the question that I think we don't fully have a, a, a grasp of yet is like, how much of these things are just sort of cool mm -hmm. and how much of it is it going to be blended into the world in the way that a lot of the systems in breath of the wild were yeah and i don't yeah. have like i'm not skeptical of that i just like don't know the answer to that yet and that's sort of what i was left wanting to see more of too same and i think for me the thing that like took the air out of the tires a little bit was seeing all of this incredible stuff happening in a hyrule that 
I've visited already. Sure. Now there's new caves, there's new layers to it. There's a whole sky area and stuff like that. But seeing the castle and the volcano and the Twin Peaks and stuff like that, um, seeing identity. You know, there's already YouTube videos coming out, like Game Explain just put up one of like these are the identical areas in both of these games. That's the only thing that kind of just went me made me just like it just brought the excitement down just a little bit we're not necessarily like i'm still going to play this game for a thousand hours still going to buy it on day one i'm still incredibly excited for it zelda it's like my one of my favorite video game franchises but that's the thing that kind of like kind of like got rid of the new car smell a little bit for me it just kind of made me go like like the whole thing about 2017's breath of the wild was like do you see that mountain well you can walk there and you can climb to the top of it right now it's like do you see that mountain you can you know you can do all these different things to get to the top of it, but also you've you've been to the top of it already. Right. So, um, and there'll be new th- new stuff up there. There'll be new puzzles, new challenges. But I think having all of this happen in like what's largely the same playground, even if there's a bunch of new toys, is what's the only thing hope uh, holding this back a little bit for me. Again, incredibly oh. excited for it. Just couching couching all of this in the reality of how I'm feeling right now. Sure. I think that based, we don't know a lot still. And to me, I think that this might be a starting point for Tears of the Kingdom because there's been a lot of talk, for example, of not just being a huge uh, error kind of exploration aspect, the adding verticality, to borrow a game design cliche, mm-hmm. but also a whole underworld of tears of the kingdom yeah and so maybe you will start in a familiar world and that will be a toy box that you can explore and everything but progressively you will be going below and above totally the The, world caves yeah perhaps the perhaps the underworld will be the the more of the dungeon aspect Mm -hmm. of the game shall we say which by the way uh we haven't talked about this much but dungeons have not really we're, we're obviously not shown in this, it's one of the key questions around Tears of the Kingdom, along with weapon degradation, which has been confirmed to be returning. Though the the rock and a stick, so to speak, is maybe a way to address that a little bit and make it 10% less annoying when your weapon is badly damaged, that so you can kind of mod it a bit and find ways to uh, lessen that. But to me... I think that there might be a lot of new and yeah. right now because they're just focusing on the abilities they're keeping that in their back back pocket perhaps for when they ultimately show uh the game to uh the press and to the media yeah yeah i definitely want to get to like the weapon degradation and like some of the other things that you mentioned but i actually i kind of i sort of disagree with you like a little bit i think so let's let's pretend that it is just the high rule that we've already visited and there isn't an underground area like has been hypothesized mm-hmm. i actually really like it when games have you revisit places you've been you know however however many years later or after something has happened like i was thinking about I was thinking about kind of what you said, and I was I was thinking about World of Warcraft Cataclysm. Right. I mean, I know that was like a controversial expansion for a lot of re- reasons, but at the time, it was really cool to revisit these areas that I had been in in vanilla World of Warcraft, and they were just like totally different. Like a like the earth had split open, and there was like lava pouring out of it in this one area, and it affected everybody's lives in a specific yep. way. Or like you know, there was this other thing going on over here, and that was really cool. Or like. Uh, 
Neo The World Ends With You was like that. It has you go through Shibuya and things have changed. Bloodborne's DLC, uh, similar, right? Yeah. Like yeah, and I loved Dark it. Dark Souls, yeah. yeah. I loved it. I loved it. There's um, tons of instances of that. And yeah, I actually, I'm with you. I that's cool. I, I love that. I do, too. I think it was just like hearing the same music in like the cold weather area, hearing the same music the on the... Same theme. I know, I know, I know. the I know. same music. Well, I mean, like some some of it was identical and some of it was shaken up a little bit. But like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I get it. I'm with you. I'm, I'm excited for this game. I am judging this based entirely on what we've seen today, which is the entire reason this exists right yeah this is this is marketing designed to drive discussion and pre-orders if we're going <laughs> to be to make us do a podcast yeah and it's, and working. it's working <laughs> it's working it's working i'm buying it right yeah i have a question for you all it actually goes back to sort of so the, the two abilities we haven't talked about yet so there's fuse and ultra hand and there's recall which lets you like rewind time on something which that's going to have some bonkers uses. Oh my God. Can't wait for that. And then Ascend, which is the thing that lets you go up to the ceiling. Do you think those are going to replace the four things we had in Breath of the Wild? Stasis, Freeze, Magnesis, and uh, Bombs? Well, Hopefully not the if Bombs. If you look closely, you look closely at the, um, the controls, it seems like it changed slightly. Mm -hmm. um, I think the normally you would activate those abilities by pressing up on the D-pad area. And I think that is a shortcut to food now. Yeah. So uh, that might be a hint that things are changing slightly with yeah. the older mechanics. I feel like we <laughs> saw stasis in a previous trailer. I don't super remember. I. They also showed, didn't he have like a flamethrower in one of the old trailers? Like a flamethrower arm? Or yeah, am I misremembering that? That sounds right. I mean, it might be more than just what they showed here too. Is magnesis necessary when you have like the ultra hand That's thing? the thing. Like, I don't think magnesis is necessary. Yeah. Um, stasis... Is maybe not. I mean, like you miss out a bunch of interactions that way. But if you design the game around not having it, that's fine. Right. Um, frost, you definitely don't need because you can just attach freezy things to any item and just freeze things that way. Yeah, and that was largely used to build platforms and open doors that had water underneath them. Yeah, like it was kind of a, a underutilized mechanic. Bombs, yeah. obviously. But, but yeah, bombs. You have to come up with a yeah. like. It's not Zelda without bombs. Yeah, I don't know if you need the square bombs, the cube bombs. You know, oh, we I had two. They're cute, Very but they don't roll. <laughs> bomb that rolls sometimes sometimes i just want to put it well down then go, gl glue it to something so it stops link discovered scotch tape yeah if they get rid of two bombs how are speedrunners gonna fling link's ragdoll body 500 miles across the terrain that's true they're gonna have to find new ways to do that yeah yeah you gotta keep the square bomb. <laughs> yeah. uh bombs though i i think to your point bombs are a vital part of zelda and a vital part of breath of the wild but theoretically they could get rid of bombs as a power and replace it with bombs in some other yeah. way like not saying i think they will or won't do that just like they they, they, they could, could figure yeah. it out if they wanted to keep your move set your ability set yeah. limited still i'm mostly just thinking it seems like if we have these four new abilities plus the four old ones that's a lot of buttons yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of i mean uh, well i mean the way they handle everything in these games is just like you hit a button and then, then there's like a you know ever and never-ending column of just rows and rows and rows yeah, of swords or things. right or meat, <laughs> you know whatever you can find um you mentioned before about like the the fuse thing and it was thinking it got me thinking about how bomb arrows have been a thing in a bunch of zelda games and sometimes you know legally sometimes like it's a requirement to solve a puzzle and sometimes like if you just hold two buttons at the same time you shoot a bomb arrow and it doesn't explicitly tell you to do that and i love that they took that mechanic yeah they brought it into this game as something that like they're encouraging now. It's just, it's, it's really, really smart. Like that playfulness is going to be so much fun. I want to be able to stick bombs to everything. Yeah. I want to, not just arrows. I want to stick a bomb on my sword. Um, mm -hmm. I want to stick a bomb mm -hmm. on like a, a shield. I don't know why, but I want to do that. 
Yeah. 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 It's no, it's incredibly inspector gadget. It's just like a bunch of nonsense glued together. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, oh, I think that's probably likely, honestly, yeah. uh, that we'll have bomb swords. Because uh, we already kind of saw an exploding conceit a little bit, but maybe it's a little dangerous as well. Oh, yeah. So, and yeah. we saw with Breath of the Wild already that they played around a little bit with the concept of having a bomb um, with the timed bombs, remote bombs and whatnot. That was a new thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, there was there was things you could do in Breath of the Wild where you could like take an octorock balloon and like attach it to a thing and then it would float in the air and then you would blow it with the leaf yeah. and then you'd shoot it with a fire and explode on the people. Like it seems like they took that idea and were just like that times a thousand. Oh yeah. yeah. Like yeah. that, but actually giving you the tools to do all of that mm-hmm. if you want. Yeah. And now we can make really long pitchforks. Yeah. I, I I do wonder how all of this is going to work with it. Like Kat, you had mentioned like the dungeons thing. We haven't seen shrines yet. Mm-hmm. And I replayed breath of the wild uh, incredibly recently. And I, I adore that game. Um, and you have like the divine beasts in that game and there's four of them. And they're like basically larger puzzle dungeon shrines. And they're built entirely around the mechanic of like tilting. Right. Yeah. And, and rotating objects and stuff like that. Whereas classic Zelda dungeons were like, you get an item, it's bespoke, it's used specifically for uh, environmental puzzles in this. And then when you solve them, uh, you will exit from that dungeon. You can maybe use it a little Metroidvania style in the overworld a bit, right? And so I wonder how all of that's going to play here. I think there's like an interesting push and pull between what shrines can be, what full-on dungeons can be, what divine beasts can be, and what these caves are. And so I think that like we might get something like shrines, but they're caves, and there's less of them than there were in Breath of the Wild, but they're bigger and more robust and you've got you know more ways to conquer them and stuff like that and i I think that's a good kind of middle ground for me although i would you know love a classic dungeon but like there's a big cool cave and it takes like an hour to finish like hell yeah that sounds awesome yeah yeah you know what i was thinking about actually while we're sitting here talking about all this too is if there is a big cave system right or deep caves or whatever the ascendability, just like you have no idea where you are under yeah. Hyrule, right. and then you just like look at the ceiling and leave, and yeah. you just end up somewhere on the surface. Yep. It's like cool. that ability makes a little bit more sense in that context, or like in the context of longer caves of some kind, right? Yeah. Of just being like a I'm out button. They also had, I mean, there were a lot of walls. There was like a specific type of wall in the shrines, which were basically like, oh, you like to climb stuff? not here right like and so i think they can they can build those limitations into this game too where it's like you won't just be able to like rocket jump through every ceiling and floor of the game they'll they'll make specific areas where it's like this is off limits or like potentially like some sort of area that's like on a mountain it's like an enclosed in some way and you can't get in from the outside if you go to a specific spot in a cave and you like beat all the monsters and solve all the puzzles you can get there and you can ascend and get like into whatever this thing is Mm -hmm. yeah really exciting on that note i think i agree because Exploring caves and going into the underworld is a huge part of Zelda's DNA. Yeah. Going back to the original Zelda. Mm-hmm. And I can see how it would be an incredibly appealing to have Link kind of feeling delving deeper and deeper and deeper, not having a traditional dungeon as we know it, where you have like these very bespoke puzzles and everything that yeah. you're solving. But emphasizing the exploration aspect of it, which was always extremely fundamental to the original building blocks of Zelda. Yeah. Yeah, And I think balancing that with um, 
the climbing mechanic in Breath of the Wild, which was, you know, at the time, pretty revolutionary. Oh, huge. Every I mean, game has it now, but... Yeah. I, I mean, if we had... Look, look, looking at even, you know, contemporary games at the time, we had... If you looked at the climbing in Horizon, which came out two weeks before Breath of the Wild, or the Assassin's Creed games that were about <laughs> climbing and stuff like that, it was just not on the same level. Yeah. And so I do wonder how they're going to find that balance between, like, you know, you can glitch jump through every ceiling to get to the top of a mountain yeah. or you can climb and get really tired. And so like, that's going to be interesting to see how that happens and uh, players find a way to kind of work around it and with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so the flying Island thing also, now that we've seen more of it, like not a, con this isn't like a concern. Cause again, we haven't seen enough of this game to really call out like what it might be doing right mm -hmm. or wrong. But I do feel like I am a little nervous that, cave systems and flying islands will reduce a little bit of what I something I loved in the first game which is just like walking in a direction and then going oh never mind I'm gonna go there and mm -hmm. then getting distracted and being like never mind I'm gonna go that way and like sort of endlessly being able to just spread out whereas if you're in these little more contained challenges you lose a little bit of that but again I did miss more of those contained challenges in Breath of the Wild from previous Zelda games so it's this constant push and pull yeah yeah and I don't think I think the thing I keep coming back to with this gameplay that we saw today is everything they showed looks awesome and they didn't show enough of those things to make me know if those things are things I should even be concerned about. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it's just too early to say on a lot of that. I need a little taste. Yeah. Yeah. Kat, you had mentioned earlier something that I wanted to talk about. Where do you stand on the weapon durability debate? Hey, we got there. We got there. Oh boy, are we doing this thing? Yeah, I mean, we should <laughs> talk I... about it. Okay, I am pro weapon durability. Yeah. Because the theme of the game is that everything is broken. I never wanted them to get rid of it entirely. I think it accentuated the uh, excitement of getting the Master Sword in Breath of the Wild because it made it stand above everything else so much more mm -hmm. and they kept raining weapons down on you all the time and good ones as well so it further encouraged exploration to go and try and get stuff did it get annoying at times yes but most of the time my pack was plenty loaded out yeah with weapons oh, yeah. i think that there's this thing with gamers if you <laughs> forgive me for saying they really absolutely hate being inconvenienced and i'm chill out it's okay to be inconvenienced every so often <laughs> And Breath of the Wild wasn't afraid to do that. I think that Tears of the Kingdom introduces some fine improvements uh, to the weapon durability system, but I'm glad they didn't get rid of it. Yeah. Kat, to piggyback on that, I think gamers also love collecting stuff. There's that idea of like mm -hmm. everything I've found is now part of my collection. I want to hold on to it. Nintendo fans, uh, especially, are like oh. almost single handedly keeping you know physical gaming alive. Like they, <laughs> they're just constantly, I always see the conversation like, you know, where's a physical edition of the Switch game? I can't wait for it. You know, um, so I think that's a big part of it. But you're 100% right. Like five, 10 hours into that game, you have. 20 or you should unless you're totally screwing up you have like 20 
something really good weapons to reach for at any given moment. Like having replayed this game recently, like I just had a bunch of axes and swords and the master sword and I had all these great bow and arrows. And like, I was like, this is a frost thing. This is a fire sword. I'm going to use this on this character. I'm going to use this on this. You'd get extras and you mount them on the walls in your house to show them off when you went in there. And like, it's, I think it's, it was a lot of those complaints came from like very early in the game when you're going from stick to stick and you're just breaking stuff on uh, enemies' heads. But like the later and later you get, you're just getting constantly like great weapons. You're storing them. They break, but they break on some guy you killed who drops another one and you just keep that loop going. And I, I generally had no problem with it. And I, it, it, and now it's just it's part it's it's part of this this series or this uh, or this duo of games to me. So yeah, it yeah. forced me to engage with the game systems. Yeah. and I am I am absolutely the kind of person who, if you just give me an infinite amount of unbreakable weapons, I will just find a sword I like and just <laughs> use that sword. Yeah, I don't need any of the other ones. I've got this one. Who cares? But I I really liked the way it forced me to break outside my comfort zone mm -hmm. and like I I picked up a spear and I don't really like characters that fight with spears usually, but I started using it and I'm like, okay, this has uses. I will. I will go to this when I need it. And yeah, yeah it, it forced me to branch out, and I loved that. I loved, I loved being briefly made uncomfortable, so that I could then later become comfortable with all of it. Yeah, it, it also added, I think, a, an extra level of tension to conflicts where you'd be in the middle of a like heavy duty fight with a guardian, and your sword would just shatter, yeah. and you'd be like, "Oh no, I have to rethink my strategy on the fly right this second, and hop backwards." hit the button, be like, what else do I have that I can beat this guy up with? Yeah. And then go back into it. And I, I thought that's like, that's really fun. That just adds something to it uh, that, that isn't there in every other game. Something I think oh, the please. most important thing was that it heightened the sense that Link was alone in this vast and incredibly hostile and unfriendly world and that he had to make do with literally anything that he could find, whether that was food or cooking fires or things that he was cobbling together or in the case of, or just finding weapons off the bodies of the enemies that he beat mm -hmm. and they wouldn't last forever, but he was trying to survive. Yeah. There's a big survival aspect to it. So if you just have, you find the good sword around mid game and that's pretty much what you're using for the rest of the thing. I, I think it dampens that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Something, so, I don't know if y'all had a, a similar experience with breath of the wild that I did, but like, Something that I think doesn't get talked about with the durability system enough is that there's that classic RPG problem of, I found this really good item, I'm going to save it for the right moment, mm -hmm. and then you just never use it, and you're fighting the final boss. The and 99 potions that I yeah. have in my inventory. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Breath of the Wild's consumable weapons could have fallen into the same trap, and for me, never did. I yeah. was constantly using powerful items and breaking them and getting new ones because I knew that I always could. And there's something about the tuning of that that I think is really important where if weapon durability had been this inconvenience where I felt like I needed to hoard all of these things for the right moment, yeah. mm -hmm. it would have been annoying to me. But the fact that I felt empowered to just constantly be using like they somehow solved that rpg problem of like don't use your good stuff they encouraged you to use your good stuff made the whole system work for me just fine yeah and i think i think what tom said around tuning is like really really critical and to bring it sort of back to tears of the kingdom a little bit it seems like that's sort of what they're doing here like 
we as a panel seem to agree that weapon degradation was awesome, but that it's true that a lot of people didn't. And it's not that those people are just wrong. I mean, you are, but, but you know, you had, you had like a genuine feeling and like an, a reaction to a system that, that, that it chafed a little bit and they're, yeah. they're recognizing that and they're like, okay, well, we're not going to just blow up our system that we recognize was good. And that a lot of other people recognize as good. Uh, but we are going to like find ways to ease that friction for you, uh, in ways that interact with the systems we're already building here. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's where we've got this fuse thing, which seems to like solve, it doesn't, it, things are not infinitely unbreakable, but if I've got a stick that's about to break, I can glue it to a rock somehow. Right. <laughs> and that makes it, it gives it like a, a new lease on life. Basically it'll, it'll live a little bit longer that way. Yeah, and so it, it's a way that is in keeping with the philosophy of breath of the wild tears of the kingdom, this universe of, of using what you find and the sort of survival thing that Kat was talking about. Uh, but also like not totally demolishing its own systems. Yeah. Pe yeah. People were asking for like, there were people who wanted repairing, right? Yeah. And this is like, it's not quite that, it's but... not quite that, but it feels like a step toward that for those people. Mm -hmm. Like, like you said, my main thing is that if they didn't have weapon degradation, you could never have that moment where you're surfboarding on a shield down a mountain and then it breaks and you just ragged off. Yes, yes, yeah. We love that. I, I mean, I will say uh, to be sympathetic to the people who do not like weapon degradation and love Zelda, that their favorite franchise has 12 years or probably, you know, we've waited six between these and we'll probably wait six for the next one, 12 years of weapon degradation. So right. that's, that's like a, that's a tough pill to swallow for a long time, but hopefully they push through it. You will, you will also get the master sword, which does get sleepy after a while. Right. And you got to recharge it, but sleepy. yeah, it's, <laughs> you know, there's I, this, I think is like a good half step between like, yeah, you can't fix them, but they're here like you can glue a rock to it and make it feel a little bit better for a little while well that was that was the ultimate debate with breath of the wild right was like well maybe it's a good game but it's not a zelda game right or whatever right. that kind of argument right. of like which i'm sympathetic to the idea that like it is so different from something like you know wind waker or uh, uh twilight princess or whatever or ocarina that like mm. I, I i'm sympathetic towards that yeah um but also still think that Breath of the Wild is a phenomenal game, no matter what you sort of classify it as. Same. And I think there were certain people hoping that Tears of the Kingdom would be sort of like Breath of the Wild, but actual Zelda. And I think what this gameplay has shown okay, is that Tom, it's probably I'm not sorry. <laughs> what? Tom. Breath of the Wild is the Ur Zelda. No, no, no. It I is I'm not saying how that's Zelda as it always was meant to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. I think... It was Zelda 1. Zelda 1 was wanted to be Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Back in the day. Mm -hmm. Totally. And um, I, I, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I'm just saying that that's sort of the thought, right? Is that if you grew up on Ocarina of Time and you grew up on 3D Zeldas, this is not, Breath of the Wild is not like a 3D Zelda game, right? Necessarily in its structure or in its right. pace. You're totally right that it kind of is like a closer vision to what the original <laughs> Zelda concept was. But I think that there were people hoping that Tears of the Kingdom would say, okay, we've stepped back from that and we've gone to more like what you expect from a 3D Zelda game. We have a dungeon, there's a boomerang at yeah, the end of the, it. The initial... Maybe it still is some yeah. of that, but this initial gameplay glimpse is not exactly that. No. Yeah, the, well, the first, the first thing we saw for Tears of the Kingdom was in, in a dark cave, right? Yeah. And we're like, ah, oh, dungeons are back. And so they still might be, but what we got today was not, focusing on that aspect at all right. right like he went in a cave but it's we don't know if that's like a a dungeon so yeah i 
which I don't, I don't mind. I still enjoyed this look. It's me too. Me too. I, I mean, can see why some people might be like, this just looks like the same game. Or yeah. Whatever. And it's also like, you have to, I mean, everyone understands that this game, Breath of the Wild at least, exists because the formula originally got too formulaic to the point that they had to shut the, you know, shut the whole show down and reboot it. Yeah. Like that's Skyward Sword. Most of us walked out of Skyward Sword being like, oh man. All right. So I guess we're just keep doing those forever now. Right. right. And, and like, there's a lot of great things about that game, but like the, this is a, this is a franchise that had to go back to the drawing board. It, like Kat said, had to go back to Zelda one. They, they literally tested the systems in this game with a Zelda one style tile set and map, right? right? Like they were like, how could, how could this work? Well, let's do it with the old sprites from Zelda one with a drop show shadow on them. And so like, we got so many of those standard traditional 3D Zeldas that like we had to try something new, whether they needed to double down on it or whether they're doubling down on the parts that every single person likes, that's up to the individual to decide, right? Ultimately. Um, but like where we are right here with Tears of the Kingdom, with this franchise, is I think a significantly better spot than where we were right after Skyward Sword came out. And we were like, mm. now what? Yeah. I will say... I agree with you, Brian. Yeah. If I'm if I'm going to be like the tiniest bit of a shill who just very much trusts what they're doing with this, uh, what I was talking about earlier with weapon degradation, where it's like, okay, they didn't get rid of the system. They didn't cheapen their original design, yep. but they did add to it in a way that is thematically consistent with the world and that it seems will improve the experience for everyone. My hope is that dungeons will be the same kind of thing. They're sure. not going to scrap like the fundamental, the, the kind of open world, not strictly go to this dungeon, then go to this dungeon, like kind of structure that Breath of the Wild had, but they will take the feedback that, hey, we really miss the specific kind of content and find a way to integrate that sort of experience into the world they've already created yeah. in a way that is thematically consistent and enjoyable, but still brings back that feeling that we all want to have. That's my hope. That's what I want. If I totally. was a genius game designer and worked for Nintendo, that's what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. 
Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I, I think that to play devil's advocate with my own um, opinion, I think that Elden Ring kind of pointed the way toward what a kind of a fusion of the Breath of the Wild aspects with traditional Zelda can look like. Mm. Where Elden point. Ring had these absolutely enormous, breathtaking, wonderful dungeons. It definitely doubled down on the combat in the way that Zelda didn't, for example. But you could imagine having these absolutely enormous dungeons, but then they have a lot of puzzle solving mm. and that kind of thing. So I think that Elden Ring maybe showed a template in a lot of ways. Um, I think what, to Reb's point, I think what a lot of people would want is to be able to retain the freedom that Breath of the Wild has as opposed to a strictly linear yeah. approach. Yeah, um, A Link Between Worlds kind of showed that that could be done and done very well because they basically gave you what a chest full of items yeah. right from the get go and said, "Yeah, here are the dungeons. Go, go to it." Yeah, and Elden Ring was a little bit the same. So I think there's a step forward, but in the short term, I kind of like that. Uh, to Brian's original point, um, the 3D Zelda as we knew it formula was pretty exhausted by Skyward Sword. But it's apparent to me that the Breath of the Wild formula is far from exhausted. And the developers feel that way, too. So I'm happy to let them play around with it a lot more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You make a really good point about Elden Ring because that game also had, like, castles that were optional, right, that you could... You could skip and you could walk around like the first dungeon and you could yeah totally Who cares? totally miss it um and so that's i want i that's that's what i want from my zeldas right i want like put that stuff in there right now we saw you know a hyrule castle it is it is uh where it was in breath of the wild mm-hmm. it so far looks identical to it um i'm sure they will rework it architecturally once you're inside but like i want more stuff like that like the sky islands are fun and stuff like that but like you know the first time you got in an elevator in elden ring and it was like that oh my god wow super mario 64 moment of like i didn't know this game could do this um that's what i want from uh breath of the wild or from tears of the kingdom and i hope we get there like i hope we get those like wow surprising moments and i know we will because this is the zelda team right and this is the zelda franchise and they you know even in skyward sword which was a a game that like like we said like kind of reached the end of that formula there was still enough in there and enough ingenuity and enough surprise enough great dungeons and moments and weapons and characters and interactions and bosses that i was like this is why i love this franchise so i believe i believe in them yeah yeah they've earned a lot of faith. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
to sort of pull back on some of that faith a little bit, I guess. What? Let's talk about what we didn't see. We've kind of touched on it a little bit. Uh, Tom, I know you, you were talking in the, in the office this morning or yesterday or when it was, yes, whatever day it was, uh, about how there's no cooking. Yeah. Or not, no, sorry. No, no, you have, you have issues with the cooking system. I'm yeah, sorry. We I didn't see cooking in the, this. There could be, there will probably will be. Cooking. There will be cooking. Most likely we yeah. didn't see it in this trailer, but you have issues with the old cooking system in breath of the wild and would like it to change. Yes. Sorry, Kat, Kat pointed out that there was a little button with a food icon right in the UI. And then we also did see a little cooking pot over a fire at one point by yeah. some enemies, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, but my thing is that everyone is very focused on the weapon degradation system being kind of like frustrating and i think that the cooking system is significantly more frustrating and absolutely needs an overhaul more than weapon degradation ever did um because it's a really cool system that like makes you manually take five items out of your inventory and then place them into a bucket and then watch part of an animation to like and there's like no recipe list that keeps track you can only learn recipes by like looking at posters on walls of buildings that you can't that you have to like write down manually if you want to represent them and then also the system like fundamentally undercuts the difficulty of the game in a lot of ways because if you find out that one item will get you like a half of a max heart those yellow hearts right yeah. then you can just cook one of those items to get like it heals you two and a half of a max heart but also that means that when you have 20 hearts it heals you fully and right. so like you can just totally circumvent the system and like spam out these max health potions or max health meals so like that to me is a thing where like i want to see what they they clearly are not abandoning food in this game or cooking to some extent and that is something that i would like to see them say okay this was a system that had a lot of promise and a lot of charm in the first game how do we make this actually feel new how do we refine this in ways that like to be more useful to how people were actually using the system it can definitely be improved absolutely it can be streamlined improved the the recipe idea is a a great idea um the it was cumbersome holding items in your inventory not being able to back out of one of them having a reset from the start um i think all that's that all that's awesome i think there's something hilarious also about like being in the middle of like a lionel fight and then stopping to have like 16 apples yeah <laughs> like like there I, I would eating while hang gliding so you get your stamina back up yeah yeah like replaying the game recently i was just like cracking up at the idea that like a guy's about to stab me to death and i hit the pause button i go into the menu and i'm just like guzzling stew you know <laughs> and he's standing there in the game being like what's this kid doing and then i come back and i'm like haha i'm back and i'm full <laughs> of health so like yeah there's there's a comical element to it i like the i like the cooking element of like the surprise to it where you're like oh i didn't know that if you mixed you know uh, mushrooms and rocks you, yeah. you got this or like there was a lot of like uh experimentation like, is great yeah there's a lot of trial and error there but I, I in terms of like getting a result afterwards it isn't just the food also like unlocking a recipe i think would have been a really cool thing so like yeah, yeah there's there's a lot they can build with there and then when you sit down at a fire you just click a thing you've already made and it yep. just does the thing and it does it you for you get it yeah yeah no i think that and this is something we also didn't really see a whole lot of in the 10 minutes of gameplay today we didn't see a whole lot of like we saw some like little ui bits but we also didn't see like the full inventory and what like the menuing is and i think Mm. like the cook when you originally brought this up the other day i was like no the cooking system is amazing like i love the cooking system it's the inventory system that i hate sure because cooking is intrinsically tied to how the inventory works and it's just at the beginning of the game it's fine when you only have like two items but by the end of it 
you have a bajillion things and there's a bunch of tabs and they're all scrambled and it's really hard to like get the things out that you want to get out or search through them. Uh, it's just a pain. Yeah. And I, I'm looking at this thinking, oh gosh, I've got to use this fusion system to combine sticks and rocks and I can't find any of my rocks. Uh, so I'm just sort of <laughs> waiting, it, especially if I have to pull up this thing and it's just like this infinitely scrolling thing of the, the 200 items that I have or this limited inventory space. And any of these things are just going to be more frustrating. You have to, you me. have to hit that. Like, I believe it's the Y button to like sort for you a lot yeah. and like otherwise it's just like you put like apples next to bat wings and all this other you know it, it just becomes, chaos yeah, yeah it's, it's nonsense and like um i don't know if you'll be able to like take food and stick it to a sword or I, that'd be great they, they showed putting a mushroom on a shield That's yeah true. i yeah. assume there will be some of that yeah so like i don't know i can just like shoot a horse apple in the mouth sword. with an apple, apple i guess sword. yeah <laughs> like, that'll be apple sword yeah apple sword. Yeah, I mean, if I can, if I can feed a pona from the top of a mountain, yeah. just like there you, go. you know, shoot a shoot a carrot like a hundred miles down, and it's just like, and it starts running super fast towards me. You know, it's the kind of stuff I think about. Now, didn't you hear a pona's not now? You have a car. Oh right, you have a car you glued together with trash. I know a pona's like cool. Can I stay in the stable now instead of you like getting me stabbed all day? Can I sleep? <laughs> I didn't sign up for this shit. <laughs> Kat, is there anything that you didn't see in the the 10 minutes today, aside from the dungeons, that you were curious about? I mean, I'm curious if there's a, an underworld and what that's going to entail. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm really, really curious about what the Sky Islands are going to be, because to me, that's going to be the, the, the meat of what's new in Tears of the Kingdom. They showed us 10 minutes of gameplay and highlighted some actually very major changes that I think will have the potential to have a huge impact on how things are played. And I think, as I already mentioned, they wisely doubled down on the, the gif ability of Breath <laughs> of the Wild. Oh, yeah. And then also uh, the speed running aspect, which has kept it so alive and vibrant and wonderful. But I think as to the new, new aspects of it, new, new, um, the underworld, if it exists, and the overworld, uh, the, the sky, I, I want to see a lot more about that. And I hope we'll see things soon because it's just only about a month until the game actually comes out. Yeah, yeah we saw like Laputa storm clouds with like paths of rocks leading into them and they just like don't mention that at all right yeah there was that whole thing that so, so, i think kat mentioned it earlier or something but someone like pulled out a like really blurry screenshot of a ui element that has on the map little cave entrances with little check marks by mm -hmm. them indicating right. you can complete a cave which feels a little more dungeony which is kind of what we've been talking about yeah. here but they didn't Please don't let it be like elden ring <laughs> right but they didn't like say that and no one mentioned that it was just something that was sort of on there that they found and i'm sure in the next couple days i'm sure will be dissecting yeah. 10 minutes uh i'm sure other people are going to be dissecting them I've, I've already watched like before before this i watched a gajillion lore videos on the zonai and it seems like yeah. that was confirmed because there were some enemies that dropped zonai yeah trash those, whatever those constructs that they were killing had zonai items that you could pick up which means that the zonai which were like the founding people of yeah. like this area and a like lot of the imagery, breath of the wild lore element yeah right. you don't really they don't, find out about it really, unless you really dig they don't really talk about it explicitly in breath of the wild but like all of those sort of like spirally dragon statues in yeah. breath of the wild were all from the zonai relics and then there was the those they're the same dragons that are on the logo for tears of the kingdom the like circular logo and that's mm -hmm. All Zonai stuff and people were speculating about it for a while but now like like you said they didn't bring it up explicitly but, but now we have confirmation that these constructs are yeah. Zonai constructs to some degree and 
that's just part of this trailer that, or this gameplay that they threw in there. There's also like, there are so many moments that define Breath of the Wild that we haven't seen any of yet that will absolutely be here. Like the first time you're walking over a mountain and it's peaceful and a stone talus bursts out of the ground <laughs> and starts beating you in the head. And you're like, what? I didn't know you could do that. Like, I didn't know this game could do that. And I think like, you know, we saw glimpses of some of that, uh, I believe in the in the previous trailer where there's like, there was a, it was I think it was like a stone talus covered in uh bokoblins and they're just like riding him and it's yeah, like there's like a platform on top of it yeah and it was like in some concept art that leaked and stuff like that from the art book and it was like oh so you guys just live on him now all right well that's new so i think there's gonna be a lot of that where you're just like walking around minding your own business maybe you're on a quest maybe you're on an adventure and then something pops out of nowhere that we haven't seen yet oh, yeah. surprises the heck out of you turns into a huge fight you weren't expecting and that's the kind of stuff i can't wait for that's so fun yeah and then we all get to come to the office and go oh my god yeah did you see yeah those water cooler moments right yeah. of like that's what you want yeah like i was i was walking around like even like with the first time you fought a lionel and something you looked over like a mountain there was like this huge beast looking thing and it got a question mark above his head <laughs> and you're like oh what's he thinking oh he's he wants to kill me cool yeah. got it let's fight yeah i remember the first time i stumbled upon one of the dragons was yeah. that for me like it was it was the snowy one on top of that ice mountain and i like i didn't have nearly enough warm food and warm clothes to get up there but i managed it somehow and there's just this like messed up looking ice dragon up there and yeah. it was it was completely enchanting. You're just eating hot peppers all the way up. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was doing. It was like it was like a massive hardship to get up that mountain at that point in the game for me because it was the first area that I went. Yeah, the first yeah. Dungeon I was walking towards. It was in that direction, and yeah, it just it blew me away that moment. Yep. Yeah. Is anyone getting that uh, that Tears of the Kingdom OLED? Looks nice. Oh my god, I would love to. It's gorgeous. Yeah, but. <laughs> With all due respect to Per Schneider, <laughs> it's difficult for me mm -hmm. to just go out and drop how much money? I didn't, Several money. still not lowered the price on the, on the uh, Nintendo Switch, which uh, I think we were kind of expecting maybe uh, to be an announcement. So uh, I think that I'm okay. I've got my Switch OLED. Yeah. I really love it. Yeah. I would love to get a, a cooler version like cooler joy cons but oh my god it's so much money that i just can't justify I it i really Sorry. love that dock that dock is gorgeous i'm mm. not wild about the switch itself but i love that dock but i'm 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 with you cat i have the i have the oled it's a little it feels a little late in the game to go out and get a new switch but yeah, it does you know I, I, if if like somebody came to me like and they were like hey i'm an idiot i'll trade you your regular oled for <laughs> this other one i'd be like sure in a heartbeat yeah. but um right now i'm kind of like do we want to do we want to do this one more time before yeah. like we're having the conversation in a couple of years about the next nintendo handhelds uh yeah. you know console hybrid we'll see yeah i'm still using my launch day switch what wow. then this was made for you are you kidding me you should no, get yeah. this i still have my launch day switch from the like launch day joy con are your joy cons okay uh i had to send one of them back wow. but largely they are fine Wow. Wow. I mean, I've have... had I've had drift on other Joy-Con. I'm not saying it like yeah, it, yeah. It, it's had I've had that problem, but my launch Joy-Con are holding up and uh yeah. I still have mine, but it exists in our garage as a Ring Fit machine. <laughs> like purely a Ring Fit machine for working out the I got the Animal Crossing Switch in 20 Mm. 21 actually i think and yeah. then my partner uh breath of the wild is his favorite game and he's like now kicking himself because he bought an oled he got he got like a hundred dollars off somehow i don't know yeah. what was up with that uh but he got he got it cheaper uh earlier this year and so he finally got himself an oled and now he's just like oh man i could have gotten this but i also mm -hmm. would have paid 
I have more money. I do love my OLED a lot. I love that screen. It's gorgeous. I, um, when it comes to uh, Nintendo, uh, I've, I think I've said this before, but one of their greatest grifts, and maybe the reason that it's <laughs> just an absurdly well-selling platform, is that it's managed to convince a lot of people to get multiple of them. Yeah, right. Per household. Yeah. And Very it's like, I got to have my own Switch. Yeah. And then they put on a new one. You're like, I got to buy that one. Mm-hmm. It feels like a lifestyle item in a way that a lot of consoles that are just strictly tethered to televisions I, maybe don't. So I also remember like when we first saw the Nintendo Switch and the Joy-Con, I was like, oh, this is really smart because like instead of selling me a brand new console every time there's a new big game out, we'll do like special edition Joy-Con and that'll be that. And they're like. No, no, we'll, we'll do, we'll do both. No, you're buying a new console. We're so yeah. young and naive. And if you go on eBay, yeah. they're like $200. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It is a shame because actually if they just sold like the Joy-Con by themselves, I would, I would probably buy the Joy-Con. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 me too. I mean, the P- PS5 is doing the same thing right now, right? Where they're like, hey, it's it's like faceplates. You can like, and I think they're doing it for like, they partnered with like LeBron James for faceplates or something like that. And they'll sell out in a heartbeat. But like the... I really thought it, this would be a thing where it's like, we're selling Zelda Joy-Con. Because, like, you know, there was the, the, for Skyward Sword, they were like, hey, we've got that, you know, limited edition Wii remote and stuff like that. Like, we've done, like, gold carts and stuff. Like, so I thought, like, okay, this, this is our chance to kind of, like, you know, get a little best of both worlds here going on. And they're like, no, nah, man, you want the dock. You want the system. We put uh, pr- a print on the back of the system. You need it all, right? And I'm like, oh, God, all right, yeah. fine, fine, fine. <laughs> it's a shame. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll get this one. I did break. I don't usually I've never been a person to buy kind of like upgrade mid console like cycle upgrades or deluxe editions with fancy art. Right. I did get the gold 3DS, the Zelda gold Zelda 3DS. That was awesome. So maybe yeah, I will break on this and also get a gold Zelda mm-hmm. OLED switch. Right. Maybe that's my my kryptonite, so to speak. But yeah. largely I'm not like. I have a switch that still works and the kickstand is still attached. See, and- mine snapped off and that was kind of the breaking point for me of, okay, I probably need to get a new one. I got the launch day switch. I got, I traded it in for the red, uh, boxed switch that, uh, had better battery life. I traded that in for the OLED. I got the switch light somewhere along the lines, which is just in a drawer somewhere. Yeah. Um, my my OLED has been exclusively like kidnapped by my four year old, so it's it's just oh. been dropped and hurt. Oh, that's so sad. That's, that's what that's, Switch Lite is for. I, yeah, I know, I know. I got I had I'm, the I learned the hard way. <laughs> I got lucky and I would I did the review for the Switch Lite, so I got to use it for two weeks or however long that was and be like, yeah, this is great. I don't need one. Right. <laughs> you know, right. like yeah. right. I think my thing is I don't know if I can go through the stress of migrating, especially my Pokemon. <laughs> oh yeah, that was a pain in the butt. Some go back to 2003. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't want to lose those. And then also my Animal Crossing town, of which I put like 600 hours into, yeah. and yeah. still occasionally it's terrifying. Use it and go, yeah. Mine was. You have to be careful. You can lose that Animal Crossing town if you don't do the migration properly. Mine was touch and go for a second there. Cat, the last time I did that system transfer, all my games brought over. Um, I had to re-download every single one individually, which is yeah. You, you make a that really good point. Sucks. Like if there was even a voice in the back of my head being like, "Get this thing, Brian. You're right there to be like, don't do it. That's a that's a bad weekend for you." Um, but yeah, there was a moment where like I was like. Animal Crossing I, town is dead. All my friends there, all, all, all like the textures I made, all the patterns, all the, the stuff, how it work, work I did, gone, dead. Oh. And I, I saved it, uh, but now I don't need to go through all that again. That's, I'm good. That's, I'm fine. I feel okay. 
Thank you. I needed that. <laughs> uh, so you don't need to go through all that again, but I do want to take you on a journey with me yes. to a forgotten land uh, of sorts where Kirby is because Kat and I got to go to GDC. Uh, well, you know, we live in San Francisco, so it was right here. Uh, but <laughs> to walk down the block. San Francisco is a forgotten land these days. But... <laughs> Uh, but we got to there was a panel uh, called the Many Dimensions of Kirby. Uh, it was done by a couple of the Kirby developers, uh, Shinya Kumazaki and Tatsuya Kamiyama, and they're they're both with HAL Labs. And they talked about Kirby, like the development of Kirby, and it was a really really cool panel. And I just wanted to like share some insights from that panel. Please do uh, because I think the coolest bit was hello. Oh, we're pointing at Kirby. I'm patting Kirby. I see. I think. I think, Kat, the coolest bits for me this were the bits on Forgotten Land. Uh, because Forgotten mm. Land, so Kirby's been Kirby's been a 3D shape. Like, they make 3D models for him. Uh, he's had a couple games where he's, like, moved in 3D spaces a little bit. Yeah. But he's never had a fully 3D game before Forgotten Land. It's the first one. And he's kind of like... By comparison, basically every other Nintendo character has moved into a fully 3D game. Right, 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 yeah. And they talked about, like, kind of why this was very difficult. And, I mean, this isn't the thing that held them back. I mean, they were really talking about how, oh, well, there's, like, a lot of design decisions. This was just the game we wanted to make. But the thing that was, like, really, really hard about making Kirby into 3D uh, was very surprising. It is apparently simply because Kirby is round. (laughs) (laughs) Which is funny. You can see here. That's very funny too because that is they've haven't they said that like the reason he is round is because he was a placeholder sprite because it was like the clearest easiest thing to mm-hmm. do in 2D right. and now yeah. that he's in 3D it's like this it's is hard. this is the opposite <laughs> effect of what we wanted. Yeah, so if you're if you're not watching the video version, uh, we're looking at a slide from this presentation. It's a photo that I took uh, or Cat took, one of us took it. Uh, it is Kirby facing so when he's facing front, you can see his eyes. So you can see where he's facing. But when mm. he's facing away from you, like you can't really tell which way he's facing because he just looks like a pink shape. And like yeah, we're all video gamers like we can see his arms we kind of have a vague idea of which way he's facing but kirby is like very explicitly intended to be this very accessible game design right and so if you're just a new person to games who has like not played many games before or you're like a person playing with your small child who's not used to games like it's really hard to tell which way a little pink circle that's like completely nondescript otherwise is aiming right and so they had to solve this problem um and they went into this like long conversation about how they did that and the way they did is kirby in the forgotten land uh it tricks you. So the reason why you need to know which way you're facing is because you need to aim at enemies and need to hit them correctly, right? And so if you think you're facing like over here, but you're actually facing like a little bit to the side, you're going to miss. But so they, they hid like homing in his attacks mm. uh, that you can't tell is there because it like all happens on the first frame. And if you're slightly off, uh, it homes in on the first frame and then goes the rest of the way for you. Oh, interesting. But you can't tell, But they because ha- they had to conceal it. Because if they didn't, and you can see on the slide here, if they didn't conceal it, it would look too much like his attacks were homing, and people would not bother to aim. They would just give up. Mm. So it tricks you into aiming when really there's like a very generous margin. That is so much smarter than my solution would have been like, give him a mohawk. (laughs) Well, they did did talk about something later in the presentation called pompadour detection. (laughs) Love it, yes. Uh, Which I I can't explain very well, but has to do with uh, how how he collides with enemies and how they have like a little extra space, like to sort of determine to sort of be generous about how he hits things and how they hit him. Right. Um, Yeah. It it looks like a pompadour off his head. I wonder if that's like the, the, such a like um, frequent mechanic in that game is, is transformation, right? Like it's like you become a vending machine, you become a car, you become a traffic cone and all of those things are a, a lot more sort of like 
you know, there's a, a not a traffic cone really, but you can tell what a, a, the front and back of an object is for those things a lot of times. Yeah. So I wonder if that that assisted a little mm. bit too. Oh, maybe. Yeah, I don't think they brought that up, but that's actually quite smart. And I guess when he when he becomes a costume, when he puts on a little outfit, it's a little easier to tell. Yeah. Um, especially if he has something like a sword in his hand. Yep. Whatever it is. Uh, but but you have to you have to account for all play styles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kat, what did you take away from that Kirby panel? What were your favorite parts? First of all, it was a very <laughs> it was a very fun panel. That was totally worth staying uh, for standing in line for a long time. It was a really long line. But we did eventually get in at a certain point. Um, so, yeah, a few things that I took away from it. I had forgotten that Forgotten Lands has a fixed camera. Mm. And I was like, oh, normally I don't like fixed cameras in games like this, but it adds a cinematic aspect to it and a sense of scale that I think works extremely well with uh, Forgotten Lands. And then another thing that I really enjoy about um, Forgotten Lands is, um, oh gosh, my my brain is completely blanking. We saw a human-shaped Kirby, which was uh, pretty <laughs> funny. There was a, there's, it was like here, Kirby is oh, yeah. a superhero. I wish I had that slide. Yeah. It's a slide of like Kirby and yeah. then sort of behind him is this like, I don't know how to explain it. It's, Pink superhero. They said Kirby's going to be a superhero. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if a human being were to dress up in a superhero costume that is like thematically Kirby. Like you're not trying to dress up as Kirby. You're not trying to be round, but you're, you are, you are thematically the superhero that is Kirby, right, you're right. a human being. That's what the image looked like. What I wish I had an image of it. Does it have a Kirby face? No, it was a guy. No. It was like a guy going, No, yeah. it's just a guy. Okay. Like Superman. Yeah. Kirby's I'm a superhero. Thing... I'm like very right on the edge of being horrified by this good. idea. It was so... adorable. Okay. Okay. It was okay. really nice. Um, I like my other kind of, mm-hmm. Oh, I wanted to seize on the thing you said about the camera. The camera goes back to like the accessible design of it because they said that the reason there were a couple of reasons why they did that. One was the cinematic aspect you talked about, but the other one was that again, like a person very new to games, it's really hard to like move two sticks at once to like move a character mm. and move a camera. It's yeah. actually very hard to do that. I've, I've played video games before with people who are like my age who have never touched a video game before. And they're like, wait, what, why can't I see what's going on? Yep. And it's like, it's very awkward to explain that to them if you don't have that instinct. Yep. And so they ended up opting for the fixed camera so that, you know, people just don't have to worry about it. Mm. Which I thought was very smart. What was the other thing, Kat? The other thing that stood out to me was Kirby's place in the overall Nintendo ecosystem. I think that we've made kind of cracks in the past about, oh, just like, oh, we got got another Kirby game coming in. Nintendo's piling the Kirbys at the end of the generation. And I think Nintendo sees Kirby above all as the most entry of entry level games uh, for it. So it's their way of capturing new fans. And also Kirby games tend to do Pretty well for what they are and so i think the emphasis on accessibility above everything uh was kind of a a good guiding point or a key touchstone for understanding what zelda or zelda what kirby actually is and what it means to um nintendo and it explains why it's taken so long for uh forgotten lands to be a thing having said that forgotten lands was one of my favorite games to come out last year That's and good. it may have been one of my absolute favorite Nintendo Switch games may have even have been my favorite Nintendo Switch game person per, uh, enti- entirely. So, um, yeah, great panel. A lot of fun. Yeah. 
I also got to interview them after the panel, and that's going to go up on IGN.com mm-hmm. later this week, and awesome. we'll have more insights. But my favorite one that they gave me was actually tied to the tears discussion we had earlier, which is I asked I asked them if Forgotten Land, if they saw it as a Breath of the Wild moment for them. And they, they kind of clarified. They were like, you know, it's not, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but they're like, you know, it's not that we were trying to make an open world game, because Forgotten Land is not that. It is still right. level-based. We weren't trying to, like, follow Breath of the Wild. But in the same way that Breath of the Wild was sort of this re reimagining and re-realization of what Zelda fundamentally is uh Forgotten Land was intended to be that for Kirby and so I thought that was nice because there's been a lot of discussion sort of in games over the years about games having a Breath of the Wild moment and what that means Mm -hmm. and it was nice to have some developers sort of on the record saying yeah actually that was it for us Forgotten Land was intended to be that um, it's not because it's not going to look the same for every game. Like a, a Breath of the Wild moment doesn't mean that you caught yeah. Breath of the Wild. Yeah, and I, I what I love about the Kirby games, uh, especially that one, is that they they do skew younger, right? Yes. But then they are also you know riddled with collectibles and challenges that you you have to really put in a little bit of work mm-hmm. to hundred percent. And there's always that like tipping point in Kirby games where you're like, oh, this just got really tough and the story just got really dark. And that happens like 70, 80% in a lot of times. But early on it's like they're playful and colorful and happy and stuff like that. And then it's like, oh, this actually just this stepped it up a bit. Like that's really cool. Like they 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 reward people who really put in the work. Um by while letting also- you fight some sort of biblically accurate age. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Uh-huh. And it's also, I think it's important to note that, like, even in their accessible, easy levels, they are engaging and fun in yeah. a way that a lot of there. There's this very there's this defense that drives me insane about kids games, mm-hmm. where when somebody is reviewing and when an adult is reviewing a platformer clearly intended for a younger audience, and they say this is easy and boring, people will be like, it's for kids, what do you expect? Mm-hmm. Forgotten Land and a lot of Kirby games are the quintessential example of how you can do accessible for a kid and still make it fun and engaging and creative mm-hmm. at the same exactly. time, even aside from those sort of optional challenges and the hard stuff at the end. Like You can do that simultaneously. In, yeah. And so it is worth criticizing games that come out that are for kids that are just not very good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like that's not a, that's not a valid shield to hide behind. Mm-hmm. They like, Oh, well it's just for kids and they don't know any better. Kids want to play good games too. Yeah. They bounce off of bad games quickly and right. they don't like bad movies. Like they're, they're most of them are smart. Yeah. <laughs> what? Red just pulled up a horrifying image right at the end there. I didn't see it. it well, not... it's like how Le- Lego boxes say like ages eight to a hundred or whatever, right? Like there's always like that right. little joke in the corner. And yeah. I think Nintendo's are really smart about that. A yeah. good game is a good game. Yeah. Yeah. That's my soapbox because I see a lot of people criticize us for for children's game reviews that are like this is too easy and it's like that's not the whole never mind i'll stop (laughs) no i mean well and not to harp on this but it does sort of go back to general criticism of nintendo as a publisser right like there's like a contingent of people who say oh well they they make the kids games they're the kids console no they're the family console and the family is kids and also Mm grown-ups like it doesn't it doesn't discount the grown-ups it's not that our interests are not valid it's that they try really hard to make sure they are catering to a very wide demographic and honestly it's one of the things i like about it would, I, it, would a kid take a mushroom and glue it to a shield? They probably would. Yes, I, they absolutely would. Yes. <laughs> should they? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Go for it. In Tears of the Kingdom, they should. 
Uh, I did want to get in a couple uh, question block questions. Yeah. Uh, we've got one from Patrick Magruder, Anthony Hughes. Uh, I've been rewatching some old Breath of the Wild podcast discussions, and it's given me the itch to jump back into that world. The question is, should I, this close to the release of Tears of the Kingdom, would it be Danger of Zelda Overload, or would I be remastering my skills to start off the sequel as the hero New Hyrule expects and needs? Um, you just oh, did man. this, right? Yeah, actually, as of like uh, yesterday, I was like, go for it. And then this morning, I was like, oh man, I actually wish I had spaced this out a little bit because it's, you know, like I said before, Tears of the Kingdom is sort of missing that new car smell for me a little bit. That said, if you play a bunch of games, it's good to go back and play Breath of the Wild because you remember that uh, the jump button in every other game is different than the one in <laughs> Breath of the Wild. So there's like little nuances and little things like switching items and weapons and stuff like that cooking the durability all that stuff is like a good language to sort of like pick back up on again you don't have to replay through the entire thing although uh good luck stopping once you start but um i think it's totally worth exploring again and in fact you'll probably find a bunch of stuff in it that you didn't see the first time around like every time i play that game which is every couple of years i experience a moment or a fight or a puzzle that i that i skipped or missed or walked past and so um it's great. It's great. Play it, play it again if you can. you got nothing else to do for the next six weeks. Do it. <laughs> you don't. Um, I actually have, I guess it's not quite that take on this because I haven't picked up Breath of the Wild uh, since then. But I, I reviewed this game years and years ago for you know a little website that I was writing for at the time. And I, I got a little burnt out. And I, you know, I finished the story. I did everything that I, you know, felt I needed to do for the review. But I didn't, I didn't 100% complete the game or anything. Mm -hmm. Like all shrines, every item, whatever. Uh, so when I, I put it away because I was really burnt out. And then when Champions Ballad came out, I picked it back up again, and not to do a review, just to play. And I played through Champions Ballad, and then I finished all the shrines that I hadn't done yet. And for me, that was a really nice way to sort of reintroduce myself to that world at the time because there was a little more story content that I wanted to do, but then also do a little bit more without replaying the entire game again. Mm -hmm. uh, and that felt like a really nice middle ground. And I'm actually trying to encourage my partner to do that right now because he he's beaten the game, but he's never played Champions Ballad. And he loves Breath of the Wild. And I, I cannot believe he's never played Champions Ballad. It, it feels just nuts to me. So I'm like, dude, just like play this. And I'm really stoked to watch him play through Champions Ballad. Mm. Um, so this is, this is maybe not applicable if you've already beaten that DLC, but if you can think back, if there's like some specific aspect of that game you never engaged with, whether that was doing all the shrines, uh, maybe don't go for all the Korok seeds. Don't do that. No. Uh, one of our coworkers was telling us he was doing that, and that feels maddening to me. Mm -hmm. uh, but if there's like a specific aspect you haven't engaged with, whether it's like the DLC, maybe the master trials, I mean, maybe warm up a little bit first before you do those, uh, or the shrines or, or something else that you just want to, like, maybe it's good to sort of get back in and do a little <laughs> bit, but not the whole thing. Like, that would be my advice. Yeah. Don't do the Korok seeds. No. Don't, don't do any video game challenge <laughs> that takes 100 hours and gives you a golden turd as a reward. No, don't, don't do, do it. it. This is it's a good rule. I mean, that was it was a send up of video game collectible challenges, right? Yeah. yeah. Nintendo being like, "LOL, no one's going to do this," yeah. and people were like, "We're going to do this. Oh, absolutely, it's happening." Yeah, yeah. No, we had multiple coworkers that that did that. Josh, do. Yeah. I'm calling you out, Josh. You got every Korok seed, and they gave you a gold turd. Hope you feel good about it. <laughs> you probably feel great about it. You're a I'm you're proud a lovable of you, guy. Josh. We're all yeah. proud of you. No, we're proud of you. I I wish I had that gold turd. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. We uh, should have made it a plush. <laughs> oh my god. Really quick before we wrap, uh Evan Biddle asks us to engage a little bit of speculation. What do we think the spoiler is given away by the subtitle Tears of the Kingdom? Mm. Right? Because we haven't seen 
like well, there were anything. There were tears, right? In the first game, the tears would drip off of the Sheikah things onto your slate. Yeah. There were the like water drops. Yeah. And I figured it was something sort of similar. Yeah, I just remember when, like, when they were still calling this the sequel to Breath of the Wild or whatever it was, uh, we all assumed that the subtitle was going to be this massive spoiler. Mm. And then they told us what it was, and it turned out we're all just like, yeah, I don't know what that means. I think it's a... So, here's... Go for it. Yeah. Lore. Here's my theory. Tears, not tears as in crying, but tears as in multiple... I was about to say that. I'm so glad you're taking it there. Oh, (laughs) interesting. Yeah. So underground, middle ground, sky. Yeah. And and then, of course, it's a little bit of a double entendre because, I mean, Zelda, a Breath of the Wild was a post-apocalyptic game, right? So uh, the, the kingdom was destroyed. So maybe it's reckoning with that a little bit in the story. Yeah. We've um, also seen Zelda fall down a hole. Maybe the, the, the village, like the kingdom is sad about Zelda falling down a hole. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's always the, the wild speculation, right, which is that... Breath of the Wild was very connected to Skyward Sword in a lot of ways, visually, certain locations, stuff like that. And in Skyward Sword, you're literally collecting tears, these tears of light in the spirit realm sections of that yeah, game. Yeah, I remember mm-hmm. that. Um, and maybe that is some sort of connection where you're going to be collecting similar tears in this world is like, that's 100% speculative, but because of the sort of like little connections here and there you could you could think maybe that's it you really think i wouldn't be surprised if there was sad about her falling in a hole she's been through like so much worse <laughs> i uh she, like she died in spirit tracks well, right she became a ghost maybe she's maybe she dies brian and i want sad. i want you to know that actually under the encouragement of one tom marks here i requested the day that it releases off so that i can play this game <laughs> and in my time off request which got accepted mind you mm-hmm. uh, by someone else in this call <laughs> um i put i have to help my friend parentheses link uh uh, with a problem, parenthesis, Zelda <laughs> fell down a hole. <laughs> yeah. It's a big deal, right? People are sad about it. Yeah. No, my, my friend is... Upset. Okay, was well, a pretty legit reason. I think so. Yeah. My friend is moving, and I have to help him lift <laughs> lift stuff. <laughs> lift Zelda out of the hole. I think... To a, a, 50, a 50th floor walk-up. <laughs> not, not to belabor it, I think Kat's tears comment is a great one and i think my speculation is that there will be a collectible of some kind that is a tear like a teardrop oh maybe crystallized in some form that that's where i think they'll end up going yeah i mean i guess we never really maybe it doesn't have to mean anything because like breath of the wild like was there really any breath in that game no there's a lot of wild i mean the breath might have been the wind the wind was kind of an important aspect of that I feel like we never really overanalyzed that. No, I guess we didn't. (laughs) Link was breathing. Well, they never told us that (laughs) one was was important. The the wind wasn't even really a big glider. Updrafts, I guess. You were riding on the glider. There were updrafts. Yeah. Yeah. The glider. Yeah. I guess though. Yeah, the wind did push back against the glider a bit here and there. Yeah. 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 Maybe we'll never know. Mm -hmm. Well, we can't. What about Ocarina of Time? What is that game about? (laughs) Nothing. Well, we can't speculate further because that's all the time we have left for this week's NBC. Uh, before we go, I have a few favors to ask. Uh-oh. Uh, it's not that bad. If you're watching us on YouTube, please leave us a like and a nice comment. I love all the people who say nice comment every week. Thank you so much. Uh, if you're listening to us on a podcast app, please leave us a review. Uh, it helps us spread the good NBC word and we'll be forever in your debt. Uh, thank you so much to Brian, Tom, and Kat. Uh, for joining me for this incredible discussion. Thank you so much to Red on the ones and twos. And remember, NBC is the only place you can get the thing. 
Get the thing. Get the thing. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Ever since I was born, I could hear the spirits of the other world. Where old stories take on a new life. If you break even one of these conditions, the consequence is death. And the world is teeming with possibilities. It's midnight, girls! They're here! Get ready to change! Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz! Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with as you've never heard them before. You are no more than a demon! Okay, Gown. Let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. <laughs>